1: Is it a giant moth, a man, or some supernatural hybrid of both? Is it an angel sent to warn us of danger, or a demon sent to follow and torment us until we meet with our agonizing fate? Do you feel like you are being followed and that there are eyes boring into you no matter where you are? Do you lay your head on your pillow at night with a feeling of dread, Or wake up in the morning knowing without knowing that impending doom is approaching. You probably woke up with its breath on your face. If you look closely, you will see its glowing red eyes watching you from the trees in your yard. Its wings might startle you as it gives chase. But you can't escape. Ignore it though you may try. The Message from the Mothman Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we are discussing The Mothman, the legendary herald of imminent doom. This show is part of the EerieCast podcast network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave us an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. In 1900, Galveston, Texas was a booming metropolis with a population of 37,000. The coastal city was the state's leading port and largest city, rivaling New York City. With a profitable link in the cotton trade that was attracting merchants and glittering high-end homes, the city was an international destination, known as the Ellis Island of the West, due to the steady flow of immigrants to its shores. Cosmopolitan and thriving, it was poised to be a major player in the 20th century. But that would all soon change. As young Tom Williams' father Gene saw the end, a week before the tragedy struck, he just didn't know what he was seeing. Tom's father Gene was named after the pirate who first settled Galveston. He had been working for the Galveston Railway Company as a freight handler. Gene had dreams of going to law school, and with the help of his new wife, who worked in the local bakery, he was saving money to pay for his tuition. He was barely 18 when they married, and shortly after found out his young wife Maggie would be giving birth to their first child. Tom was born in a matter of months. Dreaming of becoming a lawyer was put on hold. Seventeen years and three more children later, Gene was still working for the railroad, a fate that many met back in the 1800s. Gene, now in charge of the freight handling, was running shorthanded that evening. Having to step in and work with his men like he did many times before, he was helping unload freight. Halfway through unloading one of the heavier loads that had come in on a late arrival, something strange happened. He was in the train car sorting through crates when something in a dark corner caught his attention. It looked like someone was crouching behind a rather large crate. Being cautious, he eased his way around some smaller boxes to get a better look. As he inched his way forward, two bright orbs that he would later describe as looking like eyes appeared on what seemed to be the upper body of the figure. The shining red light coming from the orbs blinded him temporarily, but he regained his sight just in time to see the figure spread arms that looked like wings and furiously crash through the door to the gangway and disappear into the night. Jean jumped backwards and tripped over the freight behind him. Landing on the floor of the train car with a heavy wallop, Gene caused the freight around him to become unstable, and several large crates fell and landed on top of him. He was sent home after a doctor had declared that he had several broken ribs and would be out of work for a while. This is where Tom's role at the train station came into play. With his father out of work until his ribs mended, Tom had to take his place in providing for the family. Gene's years working for the railway had its privileges, and with a good word from the conductor, Tom was given a position as a freight handler until his father was able to return to work. Gene's recount of what he had seen that night spread, but most people thought he had imagined it. Tom would get embarrassed when the men brought up the stowaway Birdman that had caused his father to break his ribs. Tom didn't tell them that he believed his father's story. He didn't tell them that every night since the accident, he had awoken to his father's screams. When he jumped out of bed and ran to check on him, he found his mother cradling his father's head in her arms while he was rambling about omens and a storm that would kill everyone. Worried that his father was losing his mind, Tom told no one. It was dark when he walked back home after work on his third night, and that is when he became more worried that his father was right. He was trying to unlatch the gate to the fence that surrounded his family's small home when he heard a whistling. Looking around, he saw that he was alone and wondered where the sound may have come from. Deciding it must have been the wind, he stepped through the gate and began to latch it shut when he heard a rustling. Instantly, he followed the sound to the roof, assuming that it was a barn owl that liked to perch on the roof of the house at night to hunt. Tom's heart seemed to freeze when he saw the figure on the roof. It was too large to be an owl and looked more like a man. It had large eyes like an insect that glowed like the railway signals down by the train station. Red lights on railway signs mean stop. And that is exactly what Tom did. He stopped dead in his tracks, locked in the gaze of this creature. The mesmerizing moment was shattered when the creature stood to its full height and spread its enormous wings and launched itself into the night, disappearing like a shooting star. Tom's mother was worried when he walked in pale-faced and covered in sweat, but he refused to tell his mother what he saw at least until he figured out for himself what it was. Telling her that he was just tired, he washed up and went to bed without supper. That night, Tom found himself accompanied by his dad in the worst nightmare he had ever had. This time, it was Tom's turn to wake up screaming.
0: This episode is sponsored by June's Journey.
1: What is horror
0: to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes, with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
1: The Mothman is described as a winged humanoid figure, resembling something part human and part moth. It is said to stand roughly eight feet tall and is brownish to black in color with glowing red eyes. The first sighting of the Mothman happened on November 12, 1966, when five men who were digging a grave at a cemetery near Clendenin, West Virginia, claimed to have seen a man-like shape fly low from the trees right over their heads. The details of his face and his feet have never been adequately described. One witness who saw the face clearly could only say that the details were horrible and monstrous. She had terrible nightmares and nearly suffered a nervous breakdown. Anyone who gets a close look at the Mothman seems to suffer from extreme fear and psychological distress sometimes lasting for months or years afterwards. People say that a sense of pure evil overcomes them when they see Mothman's eyes. He can fly much faster than any bird should be able to fly, as measured by those victims who suffered from what seems to be Mothman's favorite activity, chasing cars. He'll fly in front of them and even sometimes hit at the roof. A brown human being with wings... The gravediggers dismissed the whole incident as a trick of the light or just nerves playing tricks on them. So they didn't report it until the story hit the press later. On November 15, 1966, two young couples from Point Pleasant, Roger and Linda Scarberry and Stephen and Mary Mallett, were terrified when a large winged man bird like creature chased them for a couple of miles. The two couples told police that they observed a large gray creature whose eyes glowed red come out of nowhere just as their car's headlights veered into a corner. The creature, they said, was able to fly at impossible speeds, possibly as much as 100 miles per hour. The creature chased their car to the outskirts of town and then scurried into a nearby track of forest and disappeared. It vanished in a part of the town known as the TNT area, the site of a former World War II munitions plant. The couple said that things seemed to avoid lights. When they turned into a local farm, the creature was again in front of the car. What appeared to be a large dead dog was lying on the road. Later, both couples accompanied by the police returned to the farm, but the dog had vanished. The deputy said the creature was also gone, but they found a strange pile of dust. In their report, they described the creature as a flying man with 10-foot wings who seemed intelligent and was particularly interested in their vehicle. On November 16, 1966, an article appeared in the Point Pleasant Register titled Couples See Man-Sized Bird, Creature, or Something. The national press soon picked up the reports, and the story spread like wildfire across America. Journalists descended on Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and soon more and more sightings of the creature started popping up. That wasn't the only sighting on the night of November 16th. It was around 10.30 that night when Newell Partridge, a resident of Salem, West Virginia, located about 90 miles from Point Pleasant, was watching television. He reported that suddenly his screen went dark and a strange pattern appeared on it. At the same time, he heard a whining sound coming from outside, which caused his dog Bandit to start howling. Partridge took his dog with him outside to investigate. He claimed that he saw two red eyes that looked like bicycle reflectors. His dog Bandit took off after the creature and was never seen again. However... Roger Scarberry, in his report, mentioned seeing the body of a large dog near the city limits of Point Pleasant. The body of the dog soon disappeared, and it is unknown whether it was bandit or just a coincidence. More and more sightings were reported in the Point Pleasant area over the next year as the legend of the Mothman took shape. The Gettysburg Times reported eight additional sightings in the short span of three days after the first claims. This included two volunteer firefighters who said they saw a very large bird with large red eyes. The sightings came to a halt in 1967 after a terrible tragedy occurred in Point Pleasant. The Silver Bridge, which carried US Route 35 over the Ohio River, and connected point pleasant to gallapolis ohio collapsed the bridge collapsed under the heavy weight of traffic due to the upcoming christmas holiday the accident claimed 46 lives two of the bodies were never found the tragedy was attributed to a faulty i bar suspension chain and poor maintenance but that didn't stop conspiracy theories from forming Since the original West Virginia sightings, the Mothman has turned up in many places. Some believe he was at Chernobyl before the explosion. Some say he was sighted before the terrorist attacks on 9-11. And beginning in 2011, over 55 people in Chicago have reported seeing the winged man. Most sightings are at dusk or nightfall. In 2011, the Mothman resurfaced in Chicago. The sightings peaked in 2017. In the city of Chicago, the Mothman was spotted all over, but most often by bodies of water. A witness, who chose to remain anonymous, claims to have seen the Mothman at Northerly Island during a solar eclipse. This sighting took place on August 21, 2017. The witness stated, We were watching and observing as the moon began its transit when we heard a very loud scream. This sounded like squeaky truck brakes that squeal when you're pressing hard on them. At first we thought that's what it was, maybe a CTA bus or a big truck with brakes that needed changing or something. We heard it again. This time it lasted about three seconds, whereas the previous sound was brief. I looked up to see a large object flying low over the docks that stick out into Burnham Harbor from across the water. This object looked like a large black bat, but also had humanoid features such as pronounced arms and legs. Sightings of the Mothman continue to be reported today. The Society, a paranormal news publication, reported a 15-year U.S. Postal Service veteran spotted a tall, red-eyed winged creature while working at the Chicago O'Hare Airport in 2020. The worker got in touch with UFO Clearinghouse to tell her story. I had just left work at the USPS sorting facility at O'Hare Airport at about 11 p.m. on Thursday, the 24th of September, and was walking out to my car. When I saw something standing at the far end of the parking lot, where I usually park. At first, I thought it was a very tall person with a long coat. As I got closer to my car, I unlocked it, which caused my headlights to come on. My headlights hit the person standing about 20 to 25 feet from my car, causing it to turn and look right at me. I saw that this was not some person but some red-eyed creature and what appeared to be a coat were actually wings which it spread out as it turned to look at me. At first I thought it was some kind of very very large bird but I've never seen any bird that stood almost seven feet tall. I'm five foot four and this thing looked taller than me by at least two feet. This thing then started making some type of chirping sound, almost a half chirp and a half click, like someone was clicking their tongue, but much faster. It then made some type of screeching sound and took off running toward me. It got to within 10 feet of me and took off into the air and flew above me. I was screaming hysterically as I crouched down behind my car's open door, and I dived into my car headfirst. I was in near panic as I tried to start the car, close and lock the doors, and turn on my interior lights. I started my car and took off out of the parking lot, and flew down the road till I hit the main road. I got home and told my husband, who also works at the same facility, and he was the one who told me about the sightings of this thing. I was terrified, and hope I never see this thing again, This thing is roaming around the area, scaring people half to death. I hope the airport people decide to do something about this thing someday. In 2021, there were five instances of people reporting seeing a winged humanoid figure flying above them around Lake Michigan. The most recent sighting around Chicago was over the summer of 2021 when three people reported a security response to the appearance of a red-eyed winged humanoid at Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. Today, the Mothman is a pop culture phenomenon, holding up a reputation that compares easily to Bigfoot and the Jersey Devil, just to name a couple. A search for Mothman on Amazon yields over 400 results and over 2,000 on Etsy you will find everything from face masks and pop sockets to pillows and throw blankets. What started out as just a conspiracy theory topic has blown into a pop culture icon showing up in television, games, books, and movies. The most famous of these, and probably the one to bring the town of Point Pleasant and the legendary Mothman the most fame, was the mystery thriller film starring Richard Gere and Laura Linney. The film was based on the true events that took place in Point Pleasant, Virginia. The movie examines a series of inexplicable occurrences through the eyes and mind of one man. A man is driven to investigate the mysterious circumstances surrounding his wife's death and how they might be connected to the strange phenomena in a town 400 miles away. In 2003, Charles Humphreys, a Point Pleasant native, who had hunted the creature during the 1960s, was tasked with reviving the town that had fallen on hard times. Charles knew a guy who could build a monster. Bob Roach, a retired welder who made art out of stainless steel. I drove to his house out in the woods, said Charles, and I said, Bob, you make that mothman and you'll be known around the world. Bob dismissed the idea, saying that he wasn't interested But I knew he had an ego, said Charles. And the next morning he called up and asked, What's that Mothman look like? Charles' answer was to take Bob around Point Pleasant, interviewing people who had seen Mothman. Then Bob went to work. According to Charles, Bob built the entire statue in his garage. It took him about a year. The completed sculpture is undoubtedly monstrous. Mothman looks like he could tear someone in two, with upper and lower fangs, a hairy chest with six-pack abs, clawed hands and feet, and ghastly wings that rise 13 feet high. The creature has a braided mullet haircut and no visible reproductive organs. Mothman's red eyes, the size of footballs, which Charles described as beautiful, are mirrored inside so that they glow at night in reflected light or in daylight with a camera flash. Despite the biologically improbable appearance of the statue, Charles said that it's an honest depiction of Mothman taken from the memories of local eyewitnesses, not a fantasy concocted by Bob Roach. The people who saw it said that's what they saw or close to it. Today in Point Pleasant, found on Main Street, you can also visit the Mothman Museum. The museum is devoted to the local legend and features press clippings, documents, and memorabilia. You can visit the world's only Mothman museum and shop from the largest collection of Mothman souvenirs offered anywhere in the world. Furthermore, a festival commemorating the Mothman's visits has taken place annually for years. A fun celebration that attracts locals and tourists alike. Every September, the festivities celebrate one of America's strangest local legends that still has people scratching their heads to this day. There have been multiple sightings of creatures like West Virginia's Mothman who have predicted catastrophic events throughout the 20th century. In Irish lore, there is the Banshee and her gruesome whale. In Northern England, there is the Bargast, or Hellhound a goblin-like dog with its giant teeth and claws. Don't forget the wreath from the United Kingdom, who uses its wailing to warn those who hear that they are about to suffer a terrible fate. Throughout history, we've assigned roles for harbingers of doom to various creatures and people. If a black cat crosses your path, it brings bad luck with it. If you see your own doppelganger, you're dangerously close to an untimely end. If the Grim Reaper makes an appearance, your time is up. And on and on it goes. In small towns in and around the United States and across the world, creatures lurking in the woods, sounds that can be heard at night are all signs that something terrible is headed your way. Every night for the past five days, nightmares had wreaked havoc on Tom's sanity. He dreamed that he was pushing his little brother, who was only four, on the swing in their front yard when the skies became dark and the wind started to blow. Rain began to pour all around them, and he grabbed his brother and ran into the house. Slamming the door shut, he knew that something horrible was coming. His mother and two sisters, aged 16 and 14, were helping his father out of bed. They were scared, and his father was panicked. He kept yelling, It is here, Tommy, it is here. Take everyone to the barn before it's too late. Tom, still holding his younger brother, helped pull his father off the bed and led the family to the front door. But the dream was the same every time. When he opened the door, water poured into the house. His brother was wrenched from his arms as the sea invaded their home, swallowing up his entire family. He could hear them screaming, but as the water rose and the wind howled, their screams turned to gurgling and then faded. Frantically, he searched but couldn't find a single one of them. The roof caved in and pushed Tom helplessly under the salt water that immediately stung his eyes. He tried to squeeze his eyes shut, but it was as if his body would not obey him. He suddenly found himself trapped and paralyzed underneath the water. What he saw seemed impossible. He saw boats slowly sinking in front of him with bodies floating all around. He saw a train crash into the water and begin to sink. As it hit the ocean floor, the sand made a cloud around it, and through the cloud, Tom could see the red lights of a railway sign. He was transfixed by the lights, and as he stared into them, the sign took on a new form with long, dark wings. On Saturday, September 8, 1900, A week after Gene Williams first saw the creature with red eyes in the train car, the Great Galveston Storm came ashore. The storm caught the Williams family, along with most of the population of Galveston, by surprise. The wind blew hard all day, but the residents of Galveston were used to that. Toward evening, the bayou began to rise, but no one was alarmed. It had been very high before. The wind became worse and began to blow trees down. Houses began to shake, and the water began to quickly rise from the bay. With no warning, a monstrous storm was rolling in on Galveston, Texas, with a ferocity that would alter the lives of every person on the island. No one in the city knew it was coming. Hurricane forecasts then were based on information from ships at sea, and the Weather Bureau in Washington had predicted that the storm would pass over Florida and up to New England. They were wrong. The deadliest natural disaster in the history of the United States occurred that night during the peak of the 1900 hurricane season. The Weather Bureau began receiving warnings that a tropical disturbance had moved northward over Cuba on September 4th, and they believed it was heading towards Florida. Unfortunately, that was the only report forecasters received because the National Weather Bureau director blocked telegraph messages from Cuba meteorologists. The director said it was because of the ongoing tensions of the Spanish-American War. This forced local Weather Bureau offices to seek authorization from the central office before issuing storm warnings. The morning of September 8th, Large ocean swells took over and started to show up on the Texas coast, along with some rain clouds, which rolled in around midday. That wasn't concerning, so residents didn't evacuate the city. However, according to the book Isaac's Storm, meteorologist Isaac Klein issued a hurricane warning and personally traveled by horse to warn people of the storm's approach. On the night of September 8th, the Category 4 hurricane came on shore with winds between 130 to 156 miles per hour and a storm surge of 15 feet. Rain totals were also high, between 8 to 10 inches across the region. The storm killed an estimated 8,000 people. 20% of the city's population destroyed 7,000 buildings and left 10,000 people homeless. St. Mary's Orphanage was built away from the town to isolate the children from the yellow fever and other deadly diseases that had taken their parents. 10 Catholic nuns ran the orphanage and in September of 1900, 93 children lived there. The orphanage was built just a few feet from the sandy beach. On September 8th, the nuns could look out the windows and see the storm moving in. They knew something was wrong because the winds were getting stronger and stronger. The sisters moved the children from the boys' dormitory to the girls' newer and stronger dormitory next door. To keep the children calm, they led them in singing an old French hymn called Queen of the Waves. When the surf started rising, They moved everyone to the second floor. In an attempt to save the children from becoming separated, they tied a section of rope around their waists and then attached the rope to six to eight children each. Suddenly, a giant wall of water crashed into the wall of the boys' dormitory, terrifying the children. But the sisters calmed the children once again by singing the same hymn. Some of the children looked up in time to see a ship crash into the last remaining building at the orphanage. The building was lifted from its foundation and the roof caved in, trapping the children and the sisters under the water. Out of 93 orphans and 10 nuns, only three young boys survived. Tom Williams' family did not fare much better than the children in the orphanage, He had managed to get his father, mother, and siblings to the second floor of his home before the surge of water burst through the doors and started filling the house. His dad, Gene, seemed to be in shock, mumbling about the winged man that had brought doom to their home. When the water knocked the house off its foundation, the family clung on to each other in desperation. But with a boom louder than thunder, their house crashed into another splintered into pieces and came down all around them. Tom lost sight of his father as the current pulled him down under the debris. He clung desperately to his sisters, but one by one they were yanked from his grasp. He could hear his little brother crying, and he followed the sound to see his mother's unconscious form hung on a tree limb, with his little brother in her arms, hanging on for dear life. He tried to make his way to his mother and brother. Fighting against the current of the water, he crawled from one piece of entangled debris to the next. Bleeding and bruised from the glass, wood and wire turned into tiny missiles of destruction that ate away at his flesh. He finally was within reach of them. He grabbed onto his brother's tiny hand, just as a piece of what looked like a roof slammed into his mother and knocked her body down into the angry current. Wrapping the little boy in his arms, Tom hung onto whatever debris he was using for a flotation device. They floated with the rushing current with chunks of their neighbor's homes drifting past them and occasionally the body of a neighbor. Tom had about used the last of his strength when they came to an abrupt halt. He had no idea what had stopped them, but as the veil of unconsciousness wrapped its dark blanket around him, He remembered the red eyes that looked like railway lights. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the Eriecast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Unexplained Encounters and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to Carrion at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Tune in next week as I talk about the Krasu, the ravenous, bloodthirsty monster of Thailand. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.